When we see and we reflect on some of the images that we just got finished watching, it's overwhelming. It's emotional. It's devastating. It's confusing. Uh, maybe it's just too much. And, and maybe you've even asked the question today as you've kind of looked towards tonight and us gathering together online. You've asked the question, why Good Friday? Why, why, why was it good? Why do, why do we call it good? Because if you're like me and you begin to reflect back and even just looking at the images that we've seen as we've uh, sung and remembered what Jesus did on that Friday on the cross, as we begin to reflect back on that and we begin to really understand what took place on that day, I don't know that good is the word that comes to my mind. Because I reflect back and I think about a man, a man named Jesus, a historical figure in history who was a good guy, who was a good man. He was, a, he was someone who taught compelling truth, something that people would engage with, people would recognize, people would understand, people were drawn to it. He was a miracle worker. There were things that he, were, he was able to do that were uh, powerful, that seemed supernatural, um, he loved in unique ways. He loved those that others didn't love. He looked towards the outcast. He didn't push them away, but he actually drew them in. He was a man of compassion. He was a man of humility. I think we would all agree that as we look at the life of Jesus and what we know about this historical figure in, uh, in our past, we would say that he was a good man, but he experienced something devastating. And when we think about his death, it wasn't just any death. It wasn't just the death that any man might experience. It was a unique death. And it happened at a unique point in history. As we think about the crucifixion of Jesus on that Friday, on that day, and we begin to go back and we begin to, to recognize what really happened. The Roman execution, the Roman form of punishing the worst of the worst. We reflect back and we see that that was the moment in history that God sent his son to accomplish something on purpose. And that purpose was you and me. And there's weight to that. There's something important for us to recognize on this day that we call Good Friday as we are kind of on the doorstep of the celebration of Easter. And as we look at the crucifixion, we begin to think through it and we begin to read. And as you begin to study, you begin to see all the things that the Romans had perfected. I mean, Jesus had, had been completely betrayed by his closest friends, his closest followers. They'd turned their back on him. And he was put before a council. He was put before uh, rulers and leaders and government officials. And he was put on six different trials as he was kind of walking through this process. And ultimately, Pilate decided it was time to um, move forward with the crucifixion. And the first step in that crucifixion was the flogging or the scourging of Jesus. And we don't think about this a lot. And we don't understand this because it's not something we participate in or something that we do in our culture anymore. But in this day, this was a, an excruciating event. This was a time where someone was uh, tortured beyond anything you and I could probably even comprehend. They would take something that they, they would call the flagrum, which was this wooden handle with strips of leather. And at the end of these strips of leather would be uh, sharp objects made from metal and, and bone. And they would take that and they would take the individual and they would, they would tie him to a post in the middle of all the people fully exposed, they would undress them, and they would begin to whip them with this flagrum. And it wasn't just any beating, it wasn't just any whipping, it was a whipping that would make impact on the body and actually rip the flesh from the body. Ripping through muscle, tearing flesh and muscle and tissue from the bone. It was excruciating. And this happened 39 times to Jesus, a man who was innocent, yet was being accused for something that he had never 
done. As he was continued to be uh, beaten and tortured and mocked, they put a crown of thorns on his head. They put a robe around him in mockery of being king of the Jews. It wasn't because they honored or respected him. It was all a mockery of this man named Jesus. And then he had to carry the beam of his cross from this place to a place called Golgotha. And as he arrived at Golgotha, he was thrown down on the ground and they used seven inch stakes as they hammered those stakes through his wrist. And it was intentional where those stakes would go through his wrist. It wasn't just in his hand. It wasn't anywhere on his wrist. It was specifically in the greatest concentration of ligaments and bones so that the, the flesh wouldn't just rip as he was hanging on the cross. And they would take these seven inch stakes and they would drive them through his wrist. Once they had him nailed to the cross, they would hoist him up on this beam and then they would take a a third seven-inch stake and they would hammer that through his foot. And so it wasn't that he was resting on a piece of wood or resting on something that he could stand on. He was resting on a nail that was driven through the bones of his feet. It was incredibly painful. It was excruciating. And they would hammer his feet to this beam in a way that his knees would be flexed so that every single time he had to take a breath, he would have to lift himself up to take a breath. Anytime he was to speak something, he had to lift himself up, experiencing pain with every single breath, reopening the wounds on his back. Incredible pain, incredible violence. We say about this day that it's Good Friday, but when I look at this day, I think to myself instead, what a mess. How devastating, how horrific. But why do we call it Good Friday? You know, it's interesting to me that millennia have passed, that governments have risen and fallen, world powers have come and gone, and yet here we are centuries later, thousands of years later, and we're gathered together in our living rooms all across the city, maybe even all across the world, and we're recognizing this day called Good Friday. Why? Why is that important to us? Why does that matter to you? Why does that matter to you as a mom? Why does that matter to you as a father, as a husband, as a wife, as a friend, as a coworker, as a teammate, as a classmate? Why does Good Friday, why does the death of Jesus matter to us on a day like today? It's because the death of Jesus is the focal point of our faith. It's what makes our faith unique. It's what sets our faith apart all throughout the Old Testament. We're being set up for this arrival of Jesus, but ultimately the death of Jesus. In Genesis chapter 3, the promise is, is, is first begun. In, a moment, in the first moment of shame and guilt and sin in humanity, God steps onto the scene and he makes a promise that there's going to be one that is going to arrive and that the enemy is going to bruise his heel, but he is going to crush the head of the enemy. It's the first foretelling of Jesus' arrival. You continue to read in the Old Testament in Exodus chapter 12, the Israelites are in captivity in Egypt. And God commands his people, the Israelites, he says to take a lamb and to kill the lamb and take the blood and put the blood over the doorpost of their homes because the death angel was going to pass over that night. And it was the first Passover. It was the Passover. And the, the result of their act of faith by putting blood over their doorpost meant that their life, the life of their oldest was preserved. So because there was blood that was shed, there was life that was preserved. It was all pointing us to something. It was all pointing us to Jesus. It was pointing us to his life and his death. You continue to read in Leviticus chapter 16. You read about the day of atonement and the priest would enter the holy of holies and they would take the blood from the sacrificial lamb and they would sprinkle that inside the holy of holies. And it was a way to earn forgiveness for the upcoming year for all the sins of God's people, continuing to point us to the arrival of Jesus, pointing us to the death of Jesus. 
you continue to read in Isaiah chapter 53, you read about a servant, you read about this humble servant who's struggling, but in this story and in this prophecy in Isaiah 53, it says that there's a servant that's going to come and he's going to take the guilt from me and you. He's going to take on the guilt from all of us. By his wounds, we are to be healed. You see, the Old Testament is pointing us to this. And then even as we jump into the New Testament, as Jesus is arriving and he's, he's beginning to start his ministry and his adulthood, he shows up on the scene in John chapter 1, verse 29. John the Baptist sees Jesus and he says this. He says, Behold the Lamb of God, the one who takes away the sin of all people. They're pointing to the Lamb of God. It's, it's this culmination of all that's been promised, all that's been told throughout the Old Testament. Mark 10, 45 says, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, to give his life a ransom for many. What's my point? Maybe you're sitting there and you're asking, what, what, okay, Wes, what, what's going on? My point is, is that without Good Friday, our faith is nonsense. Our faith means nothing. Our faith is just one of a lot of other faiths. But you see, our faith in Jesus, the Christian's faith, is set apart. It's unique. If you think about all the other religions in the world, and they've got their, their prophets and their teachers. And what do they teach on? They teach on their teachings. That, that's what people focus on. They focus on these prophets and these teachers because of what they taught. Now, Jesus taught a lot of things. But that wasn't the focus of what he accomplished. The focus of what Jesus accomplished when we look to Good Friday was the death of Jesus. It's the death of Jesus that is the, at the foundation of what you and I believe it's where we find our hope. It's where we find life. It's where we find peace. John 14, 6, Jesus himself says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father, our Heavenly Father, except through Jesus. John three sixteen, a verse that so many are familiar with. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whosoever believes in him should have life. And he's not just talking about life here. He's talking about life with our Heavenly Father forever. He reconciled something. Jesus arrived to do just that. And it wasn't just that he died. It's what he accomplished with his death. As you think about Jesus in the garden, before he had, he had been put on trial, before he had gone to the cross, he's in the garden. He's praying to his father and he is completely overwhelmed at the situation, the circumstances going on around him. So much so that it says that his sweat were like drops of blood. That's a medical condition, something that we even know to be true today. It's something that can happen to people even today in, in, in our own society, in our own culture. It's something called hematidrosis. It's where the drops of sweat begin to turn to blood. That's what Jesus is feeling in this moment. But it's not just that he's about to go give his life and going to lose his life physically. But he's actually about to step into something so that you and I never have to experience that. And that is an eternal separation from his heavenly father. He understood the gravity of what he was choosing to do. And what was his motivation for choosing this? It was you. It was me. It was his love for us. He not only went to the cross to die, he went to the cross to take on what you and I would not have to take on. And that was a separation from our Heavenly Father. He went to restore what was broken, to reconcile what had been wronged. I love what Jesus says at the very end, right before he takes his last breath and he bows his head and he dies. He says the word tetelestai, one word in the original Greek, but in English it's, it's translated into three words. It is finished. In other words, it was accomplished. It is done and it cannot be changed. And in this day, tetelestai meant a lot of different things in some different contexts, but in every context, you see substance and meaning for us even today. The word tetelestai, 
would maybe be used by a servant who had been sent out on a journey by his master. And then he's gone on the journey and he's accomplished what he was supposed to accomplish. And he comes back to his master and he says, Tetelestai, I've done what you sent me to do. I've completed it. In this sense, Jesus completed the mission. God sent Jesus to the earth on purpose, for a purpose. You and me were his purpose, his love for us to rescue us as a substitute, to take on what you and I would not have to take on because of his incredible love for us. Not only was it used between a, a servant and, and a master, but it was also used by an artist, someone who was working on a creative project or, or painting on a canvas or writing a story or forming some sort of art, art, artistic um, pottery or, or anything in, back in this day. But it was this idea that it was complete, that it was finished, that it had been made and it was complete and it was new. Jesus wrote a new story to tell us die. It was done. We had a new life. We found a new peace. We get to experience a new hope. It was also a word that was used in um, the, the, the context of merchants. Merchants would, would sell things, they would barter goods, and there would be a bill of sell. And someone would have to pay the price for the goods. And on this bill, on this, this bill of sell, they would write across it once the, the goods had been paid for, they would write across it from corner to corner the word to telestai. It had been paid in full. It was used in the judicial context. In the judicial context, prisoners would um, serve their prison time and then they would be released and they would go back before the, the court system, before the judge, and the judge would say, this prisoner has served the adequate time to pay for the crimes that he or she has committed. To telestai, the crime has been paid for in full. You see, a transaction was taking place. Jesus gave his life. He gave his life so that I could have life, so that you and I could have hope, so that we could have a future different than where our future was leading us to eternal separation from God. That's why we celebrate Good Friday. That's what Good Friday means. His last word to Telestai was our first chance at a new life. Robbie's here today and he, I want him to just come out and um, just thinking about what you've heard me say and just reflecting on the truth that we've pointed to and we've looked at today. I want you to just sit and listen together. Maybe you're by yourself, maybe you're with your family, but just sit for a moment. I'm going to come back out and we're going to, we're going to wrap this thing up, but I want you just to sit and reflect on what you've heard because what you've heard is, demands a response from us. Maybe it's a reminder, maybe it's a new truth, maybe it's a new understanding, but whatever it is, it demands a response from us today. And so as Robbie sings an older song that maybe you're familiar with, maybe you're not, I just want you to reflect on what you've heard and then what he's singing, the lyrics that he's singing over you this evening on this Good Friday and what it means for you personally, what it means for your life, what it means for this season in life. So as Robbie sings, let's listen, let's reflect. You know, it's one thing to recognize and to remember and to understand all that we've kind of unpacked tonight, this evening, as we've jumped into uh, Easter weekend. Uh, but the reality is, is that it's, it's one thing to recognize something that happened and, and what that means for our future, but what does that mean for right now as we, as we wait even for Easter Sunday? You know, as I was thinking back to what it was like to be on that day, to be around on that day, to be a follower of Jesus even on the day of his crucifixion. You know, even if you back 
uh, back up a little bit from even the Friday to the Sunday. You know, on Sunday, Jesus arrives and they're laying down palm branches and they're, they're celebrating. They're celebrating the arrival of Jesus. And in the minds of many of those that were laying down palm leaves that day, there was this understanding of this idea that Jesus was arriving to, to, to take over, to, to rescue them, to, to become the new authority, to take on the power of the Romans. But as you get to Friday, that's not at all what happened. In fact, it looks like on Friday that the Romans have taken over, that the Romans have destroyed any influence, any impact, any, any opportunity for Jesus to rule and to reign. And so I imagine that as Jesus goes to the cross and loses his life, that the people are so overwhelmed, they, they begin to uh, become confused. As they begin to find themselves back home with their family, with those that they're close to, uh, confused and devastated and, and terrified and not understanding what's going on in the world around them, maybe quarantined by uh, fear of anything going on in the world, similar to a place like maybe we find ourselves. They find themselves in a place where they're just waiting. What's next? God, what do we do now? Maybe even some frustration, thinking, man, God, I, I, this isn't what I thought it was going to be. This doesn't feel like what I thought it was going to feel like. God, I'm I'm a little bit disappointed in what's happened. You know, I've heard some of that and I know that that's some of what some of us are battling even now in the season that we find ourselves in, in the, the time that we're going through with a virus that has completely taken over the world. What do we do in our confusion, in our isolation, in our disappointment? What do we do? Well, I think as we look back and we see and we think about the crucifixion, you know, Jesus takes his last breath at three o'clock in the afternoon. And we know that he's taken off the cross and his body is taken care of, but there's something that happened in this day and this custom that was unique that we don't um, pay as much attention to as maybe we should. You know, the Sabbath was a, a Jewish routine. It was part of the weekly routine. And it would start at sundown on Friday nights and go until sundown on Saturday nights. And it's interesting to me that Jesus accomplished everything he accomplished on Friday and then he's put in the tomb, and then there's a period of waiting, and it falls right in line with the Sabbath. You know, what's intriguing to me about that is that um, the Sabbath was created as a day to rest, but it wasn't because we um, needed the rest. If you go all the way back to the beginning in creation, God created man and woman on the sixth day, and then on the seventh day, he said, let's rest. They weren't tired. They weren't overwhelmed. They didn't need anything. But yet they took a day, and it was a day not just to catch up on sleep, it was a day to remember, to remember God, to remember his goodness, to remember his protection, his provision, everything that he is, to remember that it all comes from him and that he is good. And it was something that continued over centuries. They find themselves on the Sabbath, resting, an opportunity to remember in a time of disappointment, a time of fear, in a time of chaos, of uncertainty, of knowing what's going to happen, an opportunity to remember that God is good, that God provides, that God protects, that God is near, that He is close, that He loves us, that He is for us, and He is working. Even when we don't feel like He's working, even when we don't see something happening, God is still working. You know, because Sunday was coming, Easter was coming, and God was working. He was working to do His will. And we know that His will is always what's best. And so as we wrap up Good Friday together, what a perfect way to wrap up Good Friday with this understanding that even today, when it doesn't feel like He's working, 
We don't see him working. We know that even in our confusion and our disappointment, he's doing something right now. And how incredible will it be when Sunday arrives? I don't know what that's going to look like. I don't know when that's going to happen. What is it going to be like when God shows up and he turns all of this around for his good, for his purposes, for his will to accomplish what only he can accomplish? And so I want us just to respond to that. I want us to just think through that. And I want us to respond to that through another song. It's a song that you're familiar with. Even when we can't see it, we know he's working. Even when we can't feel it, we know that he's working. So I'm going to pray, and then the band's going to sing, and they're going to lead us in a song before we wrap up our time together with a unique video. But I want you to sing. I want you to reflect on the words of this song as we close our time out tonight on Good Friday. God, we thank you. It's overwhelming to think about what you did, what you accomplished through Jesus on my behalf, on our behalf, because your love is that big for us. God, you don't need us. There's nothing that we bring to you that you don't already have, but yet you chose to come after us anyways. I pray that that would overwhelm us. And then right now, as we find ourselves in a season and a time where there's doubt and there's frustration and there's hurt and there's fear, I pray that we would look to you, that we would remember you, that we would run to you because we know that you are good. We know that you protect, that you provide, that you are everything and that you are good for us. And so I pray that we would just declare that and we believe that as we think about the lyrics of this next song. We love you. We trust you. We thank you for Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.